by the time I, by the time I was 2021, 20, I was tired, man. I'm like, yo, there's no song that you can play that's gonna make me feel better. There's no lights that can flash that are gonna help me. I've seen all of it. I smoked everything. I was done. Our goal was actually to open a club, but I've been to so many clubs after that, didn't really want to do that anymore. And I knew something was really wrong with me, but I, I didn't know how to fix it, man. I, I had no clue how to fix it. And, and, and nobody was giving me any answers. Nobody. I, people knew I was jacked up. They're like, man, just think positive. <laughs> so I'm like, man, I don't even know what think positive. I don't even know what that looks like, man. Welcome to the free sermon podcast of the Potter's House Church in Virginia Beach affiliated with Christian Fellowship Ministries. Our vision is winning souls, making disciples, and planting churches. It's Tuesday, where you're going to hear a powerful testimony of God's grace revealed in human lives. Each Tuesday, you'll hear Pastor Adam interviewing pastors from around the world to share the mighty miracles that God has done in their lives to give you hope for yours. We share the stories of the men behind the messages you hear every other day on this podcast. Keep in mind that the free version only includes a portion of the whole testimony interview. To listen to the full version, use the links in the show notes to subscribe via Apple Podcasts or Supercast.tech. Every dollar goes to supporting world evangelism. Enjoy today's Testimony Tuesday. All right, welcome back to another episode of Testimony Tuesday here on the VBPH Sermon Podcast. It's Pastor Adam Dragoon with you again. And man, do we have a guest for you today. This is one of my favorite people and one of my favorite preachers. This is Pastor Evangelist Reverend Stacy Dillard. Welcome to the show, sir. Hello, hello. Good to see you, man. Thank you, thank you. Thank you so much for joining us and taking the time. It's a blessing for us. Thank you. I know there's a lot of people who uh, who look up to you, including myself, uh, not just because you're six foot 18, uh, but because of your testimony and, you know, where all you've been and what all you've done and what all you've preached. And so it's a it's it's awesome for us to to get a chance to to talk a little bit about all that stuff. So for for somebody who's a new convert or hasn't been around for a little while, maybe um, you can just give yourself a conference style introduction <laughs> and you and your wife, where you're at and what's going on with you. I love it because I haven't been able to give a conference uh, report in probably 15 years. So this is, this is huge. So thank hey, you. Man. <laughs> I, I won't even, I won't even limit you to the three minutes. I promise. Yes. So hello, everybody. Um, my name is Stacy Dillard. My wife, Daphne, and I, we pastor in Chula Vista, California. We've been here now this May, no, this April is going to be 13 years that we've been here, the longest that I've ever been anywhere in my entire life. And so we've been here for 13 years and, and just having a, a wonderful time seeing God do uh, great, great things here in Southern California. Okay. And, uh, wow, 13 years. I can't believe it's been that long either, yeah. but, uh, yeah, it doesn't seem like that long ago. You were, you were all over the place. <laughs> I, I'm still all over the place. <laughs> right. Ment yeah. Mentally, but no, I'm joking. I, uh, yeah, I, I know about that. So, uh, you have also served as an evangelist out of the Chandler church and as a, uh, missionary in uh, South Africa and also in Malaysia. Yes. And uh, did, had you pastored anywhere else? Uh, I think I was in Virginia Beach at one time. Um, <laughs> That's correct. How could I forget? Uh, actually, well, the first, the first church that we pioneered 1993 
was in Virginia Beach. Um, and we were there just for two years. And uh, then after that, we went on staff with Pastor Campbell in 1995 in Chandler. And so mm -hmm. it's been, it's been a, a, a wonderful ride, to say the least. Absolutely. Well, yeah, uh, I, I have a bunch of questions to ask you about all of that. But before we get there, I would love to hear um, what was what was five year old Stacy Dillard like? <laughs> I can't remember <laughs> what I was like. <laughs> Actually, how did you grow up? How and where? OK, what was family life like? I um, I grew up all over the place. I was um, born in Georgia. My mother joined the military when um, I was a little boy and we moved all over the country. I lived in Hawaii. I lived in Delaware for about <clears throat> seven or eight years. Uh, once again, I lived in Maryland, lived in Fort Hood, Texas, uh, lived in New Mexico. So Hawaii, I had a bunch of little stops along the way. Um, I don't remember a whole lot when I was a, a little boy. I was really a mama's boy back then. I didn't, I was, I was actually a good kid until I wasn't a good kid, if you know, <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, but we moved uh, from Germany to New Mexico back in uh, the mid 80s. And um, it was kind of traumatic for me because I lived in Germany for three years and really loved it and ended up in Clovis, New Mexico. If you've ever been there, you'll know what I'm talking about. And uh, it was a rough transition. And so, um, but when I moved to Clovis, New Mexico, um, I, I met someone, and actually, I don't want to give too much of it because that's my testimony. I don't know if you want to segue into that or not, but um, I'll hold <clears> off <throat> on that. Okay. <laughs> we'll, we'll get there. Did you have brothers and sisters? Yeah, I have, I have one older brother. He's 15 months older than me. His name is Rodney, and actually, he lives in Georgia right now. He was in the military for like 12 years, and he retired from the military uh, honorably discharged, medical discharge. So he still lives in he still lives in Georgia. I have some half brothers and sisters that uh, I'm not very you know I'm not very close to. I I know them, but but you know I, I I wasn't raised with them. I was only raised with one one brother, one older brother. And so that's okay. It. So it was mom Air Force. Is that Air Force? Is that yeah. the correct branch? Yes. Yeah, that would be the Clovis, New Mexico. Yeah, yeah. Uh, nobody else is there. <laughs> no, and my dad was in the military too. So. We, we moved a bunch of places, you know, in my life. Was your family pretty tight? Yeah, you know, um, I played basketball with my dad every day, um, sometimes twice a day. So we were, we were actually, we're still pretty close, but, but we were, were pretty close. And, and, but as I got older, I kind of just drifted a bit and doing my own thing and hanging out and, and acting crazy. But still we're, was kind of tight with my, especially with my mom. I've always been tight with my mom. Okay, so uh, being the military brat, moving from place to place, how old were you when you landed there in New Mexico? Uh, gosh, maybe 19. Yeah, maybe I was 19 years old when I when I got there. Uh, either, okay, eight, so your formative years were in Germany then? Uh, yeah, yeah, I went to high school, all my high school in, in Germany. And so, um, but I ended up going to play basketball in Texas near uh, Lubbock, Texas. And so I went there for a little stint. As they say, I had a little cup of tea, a sip of tea in Texas. It didn't last too long. I got kicked out. So that didn't go that, that, didn't ah, go that good. I see. It was, okay. it was fun while it well, lasted. 
Well, tell me what you remember from Germany, because that's pretty interesting. I'm just learning this for the first time about you. Oh, you didn't know that. Yeah, I um, I um, was in Germany. I was, you know, it was a um, a major transition for me even to go to Germany. But the thing that being in the military, anybody who's been raised in the military, you just get on with it wherever you go to. It doesn't really matter. You got to make new friends. You don't have time to be full of all self pity and all that other crap. It just don't work very well. You'll be a lonely person. So, I uh, I love Germany because I could hitchhike everywhere. And so, uh, my mom and dad used to give me money to take taxis. And so I would keep the money, taxi money, and I would hitchhike all over the place. And so I hitchhiked from town to town. I lived in this little bitty town called Piglisum. And it was just a little small town. And, and I, I lived there for three years. And I just hitchhiked back and forth and I'd hang out with my friends. And it was like one big party, honestly, for three years. That's all, that's all it was. But I loved it. Wow, that's cool. Has you ever been back there? Yeah, yeah, I went back. Not, not to, I haven't been back to uh, Bitburg. That's where I went to high school. But I've been back to Germany. I went to preach over in um, Frankfurt. And I preached there. That was years ago, but I haven't been back, haven't been back since then. No. Did you pick up some of the language when you lived there? No. You know, Americans were lazy. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, you were probably on the base most of the time, right? No, 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 no. Very rarely on the base. I, I, I would. Uh, most of my friends were were uh, either half German, half black, half German, half white. Almost all my friends spoke German, and most of them spoke English. So they preferred to speak English more than I preferred to learn German. I, you know, because I, I never thought German was a very uh, nice language. Anyway, is to me, it's really harsh. <laughs> And so it's not something I really wanted to learn. I'd rather learn Spanish, you know what I'm saying? Gotcha, gotcha. Well, that's that's pretty cool. So um, so when you came back to the States, you were 19 years old. You were done with school at that point, or at least high school. Did, did, you, uh, did you go to college at all? Just for a little while. Went for a little while, got in some trouble. And, um, oh, that in, was in Texas? That was in New Mexico, Clovis. So I got in some trouble okay. in... Um, in, in college, got kicked out, had to go back to New Mexico with my mom and dad, which I did not want to do. My mom gave me, she said, you have four options, Army, Navy, Air Force, Marines. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Sounds she, like wisdom. Yeah, well, she, she knew my temperament. Honestly, I, I wouldn't make it in, in that kind of stuff. I, I had the kind of temperament back then. I probably would have been locked up. Um, something bad would have happened. Um, so I, I had to figure out, I had to come up with a plan. And so I, I drifted for a while. I ended up moving from Clovis, New Mexico to Las Cruces, New Mexico, because I had a friend of mine who I knew in Germany who went to New Mexico State. And so he said, hey, why don't you come out here? You never know, maybe you can walk on at New Mexico State and try to play basketball over here. So. I went to Las Cruces for a bit and uh, was working at this gas station and still doing my same old partying and all that other stuff and just kind of spinning my wheels. I wasn't really going anywhere at all. Okay. Well, you've alluded to some trouble that you keep getting into and <laughs> a temperament. Yeah. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah. I, you know, I, I, um, I had always had a really bad anger problem. I had a really bad anger problem and had a really bad jealousy problem. 
And so I was one of those guys, honestly, that um, I would just really just flip out. And I would go off and do all kinds of just really bad stuff. And then when I would kind of come to my senses, I'd be locked up in jail. <laughs> and so um, that was kind of my my trait. I always had a problem with with girls and relationships and uh, breaking up with girls and then not letting them go and acting crazy and threatening people. That was just kind of how I was. And when I when I went to Las Cruces, I actually wasn't as bad anymore. But um, it was one of those things where it was under the surface. Um, I just hadn't been put in Las Cruces in that situation where it was going to come up again. And it's not like it had really subsided. It was just, it was there. It, it was still there. And, uh, <clears throat> but I, I didn't know where, what I was going to do. I was just in Las Cruces working at a gas station, riding a bicycle to work and, um, and still playing basketball, but really not going anywhere. All right. So tell us a little bit about some spiritual or religious history. How did, did you, your family have any religious background? Yeah, I, um, in Georgia, <clears throat> I lived with my grandmother for a while. I would go back to Georgia quite a lot. And when my mom joined the military, I would go, uh, I had to go, I had to stay with her, me and my brother. And so my grandfather, he pastored two churches, one in Georgia, one in Alabama. And so I was raised around uh, religious stuff, you know, ever since I was little. Um, <clears throat> excuse me, but I didn't understand the whole church stuff. I didn't understand. No one ever explained it to me. They never explained to me why. Um, no one ever told me about being saved. No one ever told me about uh, repenting of my sins. They never told me that Jesus could change. I never heard anything like that. The things that I remember is, uh, and I was sharing <laughs> this story with someone the other day, they would call me a rank sinner. And I, 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 for years, I think I was grown before I ever found out what a rank sinner was. And, and, so, <laughs> and so they would tell me, you know, every time I go back to Georgia, they'd say, uh, you know, uh, you need to join the church while you're here. And I said, join the church? Why? And they said, well, you need, you need to join the church. You're going to bust hell wide open. And I said, so I have to join the church in order not to bust hell wide open? I said, no, no, I'm not going to, I'm not going to stand up in front of the church. Cause what they do after every service, you know, you, you, you know, they say, if you want to join the church, become a member, you can come kind of, kind of what we call altar call, but there's really no, at least from what I remember, there was no really a challenge to repent of your sins. And so I really despise church. I, I, it was the worst day of the week for me. So I grew up, if you don't go to church on Sunday, man, it's going to be a hard day for you, man. It's going to be a long day probably of no food because <laughs> all the best food is on Sunday, man. You get some, get some collard oh, greens, yeah. some fried chicken. Church folk know how to eat, man. They know how to throw down, man. And so um, I'd go, man, but gosh, I hated it, man. And so when I was, when I was young, man, I think I was in maybe fifth grade, fourth grade, my mom would always make me and my brother go, always. But she would never go, never. I, I, I remember she took us years ago. I used to go to Kingdom Hall. Jehovah's Witness, and uh, I didn't understand that either. And I think my mom was searching. She didn't want to go back to the Baptist church, but she knew she needed to go somewhere. So we ended up in the Kingdom Hall. We stopped going to the Kingdom Hall. Then she she quit totally, but she sent me and my brother Rodney to this little church, and we had our little Bibles, and we'd get on that funny colored bus on Sunday morning. And so one day I asked my mom. I was just really kind of perplexed. I was like, Mom, 
if this is a good thing, why don't you go? And um, I was waiting for her response. Yeah, I didn't know how she was going to respond because you know you smacked in your mouth if you don't if you don't uh, <laughs> if you don't you don't get your tone right. You know what I mean? And uh, she said to me, uh, "I paid a cost to be the boss, and you don't you don't ask me." And I and I said, "Well, mom, I'm just you know wondering." And I said, "Well, when am I going to be the boss? Where well, I don't have to go anymore?" And she said, "Well, I'll tell you. I'll let you know." <laughs> so some time passes. Pretty straightforward. Yeah, 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 yeah. She, she. Um, but I, you know, looking back, I know it caught her off guard, and I think she knew the day was going to come where I was going to ask her uh, about um, church. And um, it, at least, at least she did have enough sense to send me and my brother. But um, even then, I didn't know anything about the Bible. I just knew John three sixteen, but I didn't understand that either. So long story short, I quit going, and I think I didn't step foot in a church. Again, for 10, 12 years, I don't know how long it was. It was a long time. I, I, I know that it was a long time. Actually, I didn't step foot in a church again until I got saved. Until I, Chandler. Until Chandler. I hated the church. I, I hated church. I thought, I thought uh, church people were goofy. I thought the whole concept of, of weak people wanting God was stupid. And I said, you just need to be strong, get your head together work it out yourself. I said, God is for weak people and I'm not weak, so I'm good. And uh, but I was actually just a jacked up dude, man. But uh, I lived a lot of years of my life um, just um, messing myself up. Yeah. So uh, so you're, you're baby of the family then, is that right? Yeah, yeah. Okay, and one older brother, but uh, you guys moved around quite a bit. So, um, I, I, what I'm curious about is, uh, okay, so when you have a teenager in the house that doesn't want to go to church with you, this is not me. This mm -hmm. is some people that I'm dealing with. <laughs> yeah. Thank God my kids are, they're on the straight and narrow. Right. But I've seen families really struggle with this. Uh, you And you were that kid that didn't want to go to church. Um, so what what's your thoughts on you're going to go to church whether you like it or not? Yeah, yeah, that's a good question. I. Um, <clears throat> when I was growing up, just being from a black culture, at least a black culture back then, the black culture now has changed. I don't know what happened to black people, but that's a whole nother message. <laughs> we'll come back to that one. <laughs> yeah. But I grew up, you don't, you know, you don't have an option. Th th those things are, uh, are, uh, not up for debate and in conversation. I never, ever, ever told my grandparents that I wasn't going to go because that is unacceptable. You'll get, you'll get, you'll get whooped. You get the switch on you. And so um, it wasn't even open. You know, nowadays parents ask their kids, you know, what do you, what do you want to do? And, and man, that's an open-ended question. I mean, I can go a whole, you know, 20 different directions. And so I, I, I think that as parents, um, certain things, especially when they're, they're young, no, you're going, you don't have to like it. You, you don't have to like it, but you will go. And, and your attitude is going to be straight, too, because if your attitude ain't straight, we're going to have some issues. You're not going to go there with your arms folded, your lips all stuck out. You're going to, you're going to go there and you're going to, you're going to act right. And I tell, you know, I tell parents that all the time. I mean, they got a 13-year-old kid, and they're like, uh, and I'm like, hey, and I ask them, hey, where's so-and-so? They're like, oh, she didn't want to come. And I, I have to pause. I'm like, she didn't want to come. The, the issue is not if she wanted to or not. It's, it's no, no, you're going. 
And and if you don't if you don't want to be saved and you don't want to go to heaven, that's that's your business. But you are going to church. That's what we're going to do. And uh, and I don't want to hear anything else about it. So um, that's just the way I was raised. I don't I didn't have all these uh, options. The options that I had were the ones my mom let me have. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. That's why I'm not in jail right now, bro. <laughs> <laughs> Thank God. Well, you know, if, if somebody if somebody ever asks me that question, uh, should I force my kid to go to church? Then I ask them, uh, do you force your kid to go to school? Do you force your kid to go to the doctor, to the right. dentist? Um, yeah, I mean, that's probably a good place for them to be, even if they don't want to be there. There's a exactly. reason for that. Yeah, that's that's so. really good. That's that's a good, you know, uh, that's very, very good. I need to use that one. You know, because a lot of parents, what I'll, they I'll say, let you use it for free. Yeah. Well, a lot of parents, what they say is, uh, I don't want to force them to go because if I force them to go, they're going to hate, they're going to hate uh, God and they're going to hate church. But I, I don't know how true that is. And and just like, you know, when I was growing up, you you have to drink castor oil. Most people don't have, you know, I don't even know what castor oil is good for. But uh, <laughs> I don't even know what it is. You don't want to know, man. It, it's rough, bro. It's rough. It's like, uh, it's like this weird, um, it has the worst taste ever. You, you should get something just tasted just so you can, just so you can know what the old folks. Uh, just for an experiment. Yeah, but they would make us do things and you, you don't, you don't ask any questions. Um, and you know, there could be some abuse in that to a certain degree sometimes, I guess. Um, but as a parent, you have a, a, a obligation, I think, to navigate your child. And when, when they're old enough, where you think they're responsible enough, you, you can give them some, some freedom. But I, I think some other things are non-negotiable. That's what I think. So, well, it, it worked out with you eventually, but uh, yeah. you spent a long time running. So what do you think, uh, what do you think caused you to start running from the Lord? You know what, man? I don't even think I was running from God because I didn't even, I never was even introduced to him. So I, I had no clue. I really didn't. I, I, I remember back when I was a teenager living in Germany, there was this girl that played on the girls' basketball team. She was super cool, man. She was, but she was different. She was very, very different. She was different than anybody else that I knew. <clears throat> she would always say, hey, Stacy, you know what? You, you should come out to church with me. And, uh, and, and, and I, and I think she had a thing for me. I do. But now looking back, she, she, I, I think she was a Christian. I really do. She was, she's just a good, clean girl who I think that was her way of witnessing. You know, she, she wasn't all in your face. And then there was another guy when I was living in, uh, in Clovis I'm at the base gym on Cannon Air Force Base. And, um, he would just come and, and, and watch me play. And then he pulled me to the side and, and, and kind of talked to me. And he was a very gentle guy, but he never, he never witnessed to me. He never told me about Jesus or anything like that. But I, you know, I know looking back that God gave me all of these little touches along the way, but no one, I don't remember anyone ever witnessing to me and telling me about Jesus. So I don't, I was running from me. I wasn't, you know, I was running from me. I couldn't, but no matter where I moved, I couldn't get away from me. It was, it was, it was tormenting actually. <laughs> you know what I mean? Oh, totally. So did you end up uh, joining the military also? No, 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 no. I ended up um, in New Mexico in Las Cruces and um, 
kind of not going anywhere. I um, I went to, I had a roommate who played for New Mexico State. He's a starter for them back in the day. And uh, me and him were down in the in, in the, the stadium playing. He was shooting around, getting shots in. And the coach asked my roommate, he says, hey, hey, who's that dude that comes and plays with you all the time? He says, oh, his name is Stacy. He, he wants to come and try to play here. And the coach is like, well, tell him to come talk to me. And so I was super excited, man. You know, D1 school, you know what I'm saying? And and coach wants to talk to me. So I go up and <laughs> I uh, <clears throat> introduce myself. And he asked me, he said, hey, have you played Have you played college ball before? And I'm like, I have, sir. Yes, I have. And he says, oh, really? He says, so so. Uh, how, how's your grades? And right when, <laughs> when he asked about my grades, man, it just went it went bad. It, it went it went bad. I told him, I said, you know, my grades are my grades are non-existent. <laughs> and so um, he offered me to. He said, why don't you go to like a, a JUCO Peninsula College, get your grades up, and if you're serious about it, I'll take a look at you when you get your grades up. Possibly bring you back here. But I, I played at that level before, and I know to play at that level, you really have to give yourself to it. And I wasn't willing to do that. I, I it was a you know this tug between my my partying and and the work that I knew that I would have to do to be a competitive basketball player at that level. And I said, Nah, man, I'm not even gonna I'm not gonna kid him. I'm not gonna kid myself, man. I'm, I'm probably not gonna do it. And I just left it. Wow. So that means you were dedicated to your party life. Big time. Big time. And all my friends were the same. I, where, where the whole partying thing started was in Germany because I did three years of partying. Yugoslavia, Spain, all over Germany. So by the time I came back to America, I was totally immersed in that type of, of mindset and, and, um, and the culture of just going out and drinking and smoking and hanging out all night and doing all kinds of stuff. That's just what I was used to. And I, and I couldn't, um, I couldn't get out of it, you know? So how many nights a week would you say you were, you were living this life? Most nights. Cause I, yeah, most nights. And plus I played a lot of basketball too. So I play basketball, sweat out all the liquor, <laughs> but I, I, I drink a lot. I, I drink a lot. I, I didn't drink like in the clubs or anything like that. Cause I couldn't afford it. But I bought some cheap, cheap liquor and me and my roommates would just hang out at the, at the apartment and, and, and do our thing. But, um, a bit too much, you know what I mean? Always doing something. So, okay. Well, you kind of answered the next question I had, which was, is there a love interest in the story? You were living in a bachelor pad sounds like, but, uh, did you have any, any like, you know, goals moving forward or did you have a plan or you just listless kind of thing? No, no plan. I had no plan. I was just going one day, one day at a time, had a few girlfriends. I usually had two or three at a time, just trying to, yeah, and that's that's a full time job. Just trying to that's do that. That's a hard you know? life, right there. <laughs> it is, man. It is. I don't wish that on my worst enemy. But uh, um, yeah. So I always had something like that going. It was just um, kind of something I had always done. And so um, I would usually have like one main girlfriend and two off to the side that I you know just talk to every once in a while, hang out with, and 
go to the club with, but I always had something something going on. There's a there's a weird life. Okay, so let's put this in time. Uh, when when was this? Like, what were the years? The the range of years that you were living a party life. All the way from like eighty two to almost eighty eight. So this was a major eighties lifestyle, huh? Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. All the way, all the way until I got. All the way until I got to Chandler. So this was the big hair. This was the. uh, It was was before the uh, Arsenio Hall. (laughs) It was before all that because I'm a '90s kid, so this is a little before my time. But this was uh, this was this was an exciting time to be alive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. we had the uh, back all the alternative music, the Smiths and the Cominards and all that stuff back in those days, man. Okay, well, where is this all leading to exactly? Well, um, what happened when I was in um, Clovis? I'll back up, and I, I and I was going there before, but I didn't want to. I didn't want to jump ahead because this is, um, I believe, it's divine the way this whole thing worked out. When I was when I moved to New Mexico, there's um, a guy that I met there, <clears throat> and, um, and and actually initially he was on vacation, and all my friends that I had met initially in Clovis are like, "Hey, there's this guy that that." DJs, he does music. Uh, he's really into alternative music like you. He, uh, you'll like him. And so right when I met this guy, man, me and him just hit it off. His name is Tim. And um, we hit it off, man. And we hung out every single day. I see him. He's like, he's like family. I seen him every day. He lived right across the street from me. And so uh, Tim's dad was retiring from the Air Force. And so uh, I'm like, bro, where are, you, where are you moving to? And so he says, I'm moving to a town called Chandler, Arizona. And I'm like, well, man, I never been to Chandler before. So he ends up moving from uh, Clovis, New Mexico, moves to Chandler because he was born there. Several months pass. And uh, I'm living in Las Cruces now. So he says, he calls me up and says, hey, Stacy, man, you should come out here to Chandler. He said, I think you'll like it, man. There's a lot of girls out here, man. He says, bunches of them. And so that's all he had to say to me. And so <laughs> I, I am off to, um, to Chandler. I don't even know how I got there, man. Think about it. I don't know if I flew or took a bus. I can't even remember how I got there, honestly, which is crazy. I go to Chandler. I think it's either late October, beginning of November. And man, it is nice. It is so nice. I mean, because I'm used to living on the East Coast. I'm used to living in places that are cold. And uh, it's beautiful. I have shorts on. I'm chilling. And I'm like, I ain't leaving. <laughs> so I've got all my stuff back in New Mexico and uh, you found your happy place. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I'm there. I don't have a job or anything, bro. I'm, I'm flat broke. And actually back in those days, you could go to the ATM machine and take out more money than is in your account. And, uh, it, you know, you can, it, and, and they'll it, even give you the money. Those days are over. So I took out more money than what I had in the account. I blazed out, bro. And uh, <laughs> that's a pretty good trick. <laughs> yeah. Don't, don't do that. Anybody's watching. Don't, don't do that. But um, I'm in Clovis, I mean, I'm in, in, in uh, uh, Chandler, and I told myself, I said, um, I'm not going to do here what I did in all these other places. I'm not going to go to club. I don't want to do that anymore. Lo and behold, next thing I know, <laughs> I'm at a club, 
And uh, the whole time I'm there, I'm like, this place sucks. This place sucks. I've seen too many of these places. And, and so, and actually I went out, I think that was the only time that I went out in, in, um, in Chandler. And, um, how old were you at this point? I was either 20, maybe 20 by then, maybe 21. Um, yeah, okay. 20. So that, well, that, that's something interesting because you're, you're dealing with the, um, I don't know if you would call it guilt, but there, you know, that there's something wrong with the life that you live. Yeah. Can you explain what you were feeling? Yeah. You know, man, I was honestly, I was tired. I was, I was very, very tired. I've seen a lot in, in, in my, my, my life, you know, being my home life and then the club life. A lot of people, you know, didn't, and I'm, I'm not saying in a bragging way, they hadn't seen things that I had seen. Um, you know, just staying up all night in Spain and just being in a club and just the loud music and it just never, ever, ever working out and being in, um, college and, and staying out all night. By the time I, by the time I was 2021, 20, I was tired, man. I'm like, yo, there's no song that you can play. That's going to make me feel better. There's no lights that can flash that are going to help me. I've seen all of it. I smoke everything. I was done. And actually me and, and, and. My, my friend, Tim, our goal was actually to open a club, but I've been to so many clubs after that. I, I didn't really want to do that anymore. And I knew something was really wrong with me, but I, I didn't know how to fix it, man. I, I had, I had no, um, no clue how to fix it. And, and, and nobody was giving me any answers. I mean, um, nobody, I, people knew I was jacked up and they're like, man, just think positive. <laughs> so I'm like, man, I don't even know what think positive. I don't even know what that looks like, man. And um, I, I remember one day um, we are out washing Tim's car. We're at this car wash over in Mesa. And um, this guy, he's, he, he, he's washing his car and I'm watching him. He's got this nice Maxima. And I'm looking at his car and I'm like, oh man, that's butter. That's nice right there. He's washing, spraying it off. He's got the hood of the car open and he's spraying um, the engine. And so I'm, I'm drinking me a, a beer and I'm smoking me a cigarette. And I keep looking, I'm liking this car. And he's looking at me, waves at me, trying to start his car and his car wouldn't start. And he says, hey man, can you guys give me a hand? I'm like, yeah, 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 yeah. So we push his car out of the stall and um, he, he, he says, thanks man. And, and we're like, oh, that's cool, bro. And then he said, hey, 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 before you go, let me, let me give you something. He reaches into the, into the car. He hands me and Tim these flyers. And he says, hey, um, have you ever heard that Jesus Christ could change your life? And I'm telling you, I had never heard that before. And I said, honestly, uh, I said, I, I've never heard that before. And he said, Jesus Christ is the answer. He's the only one that can set you free. He can change your life. And he said, we're having this revival. You, you should come out and, and check it out. And now, I, I just, I don't know if I'm getting ahead of your, your question. I'm just, I'm just talking. Um, so um, two weeks passed, maybe two weeks in. We're at the house and, and, and if I remember right, Tim's smoking some weed and <laughs> I'm drinking as usual and smoking and my cigarettes and stuff like that. And I, when I'm drinking, I... Glance down and the flyer is right on the counter. And I pick it up and I said, Tim, where is 101 East Comstock? Now, mind you, I'm new here. I didn't know anything. He says, 
Comstock is the street we're on. And I said, well, that guy who invited us, to, us out to church, this, he, you want to go? It's at 101 East Comstock. He said, 101 East Comstock is right there across the street. We're, we're talking about, man, maybe an eighth of a mile. I mean, literally right across the street. Wow. That apartment complex is still there. It's still huh? there. It should have been condemned a long time ago. <laughs> they, they keep throwing paint on it, bro, but it is what it is. Man. <laughs> yeah, it was a club, club oasis back in the day. It was called Club Oasis back in the 80s, yeah. It sounds nice. Yeah, yeah. Oasis in the desert. That's what I'm talking about. <laughs> <laughs> so you glanced at the flyer out of the corner of your eye when you were drinking some beer and you decided you want to go. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I said, Tim, I said, we should, we should pop in there, man, and see what's going on, mate. I said, you never know. Might be some nice ladies up in there. And uh, Tim said, yeah, probably, he said, probably better than the girls. For all the right reasons. For all the right reasons. (laughs) I was on a a kingdom search. And, uh, man, we got all dressed up, man, and uh, dressed up like like our kind of dressed up. We dressed kind of different. But uh, um, we walked over to the church, and, I mean, we just ran across the street. And I remember one of the first people that I met there was Ron Cass. One of the first people I said, that's a big dude, man. And so, yeah, he's kind of intimidating. Yeah. Yeah. And so I met Ron cast and, um, several other people. And so I walk into the, um, to the building and I'm, I'm at the, the front door and I'm just talking to some people and, and they're super nice to me. And, uh, I look on the stage and I see the guy who invited me out, Gene Proctor. And he looks at me and he jumps off the stage. And he runs down and he grabs my hand and he said, tonight, Jesus is going to change your life. And he went, oh, wow. It it was, it was weird, man. Um, And he went back on the stage and um, it's totally unlike a church I was used to, man. I'm used to pews. I'm used to hymnal books. I'm used to all that stuff. It was totally unlike anything. But I, when I, when I looked at the people that were there, man, gosh, they look so free. They they looked they looked happy. I mean, genuinely happy and fulfilled. And 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 I'm 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 comparing their life to mine. And I'm like, your life sucks, Stacy, and you know it. So don't even front here like you got it together, man. You are jacked up. And 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 so I'm thinking, man, the people that I hang around with, man, they always have some kind of substance in them. And these people don't. And man, they look happy. And so me and Tim were sitting down. <clears throat> We got one chair empty between us because I don't want him sitting all close to me, man. And so we got our arms on the on the back of the chairs like this. And we just kind of vibing. And uh Ernie Shavers is is preaching. And um he he I don't remember his whole testimony. All I remember is him saying, if Jesus is not real, all I've been is a good person and tried to be good. But if he is real and you don't repent, you're going to hell. And I'm like, oh man, that's deep, bro. And and then I remember him saying, if you're not saved, money's not gonna bring you happiness. Millions aren't gonna bring you happiness. He says, I've had millions of dollars, it doesn't answer. And so I'm thinking to myself, this guy is rich. And he told me money doesn't help. So why am I trying to get money and trying to do all this stuff 
thinking that it's going to uh, help me when he's telling me that it's not. And so um, I remember bowing my head and I said, I'm going to do this not because my best friend's here. I'm going to do this because I'm jacked up and I need, I, I, I have nothing to lose. I have nothing to lose. And so I had my head bowed and I remember I raised my hand to get saved and I glanced over at Tim and he had his hand raised and he looked at me. He's like, <laughs> it was great. Next wow. thing I know, I'm at the altar. Wow. Gene Proctor comes out. He prays with me. I'm not sure who prayed with Tim. Gene Proctor, he, he prayed with me. And I remember uh, going home uh, back to our apartment that day. And Tim said, uh, um, I told Tim, I said, bro, I feel different. And uh, Tim said, I do too, man. I said, Tim, it feels like, like, I feel light, man. It feels like a burden is, is lifted off of me. And, and I said, what happened to us, man? And I'll never forget, he said these words. He says, I think they called it saved. I think, <laughs> he said, he said I, I, think, I think they called it saved. That's what, that's what they called it. We got saved. And we're in an apartment. We're hugging each other, man. And we're just super, super excited, man. And that is where my adventure in salvation started, man. 30, 34 years ago. Been glorious. Wow. So that was the beginning. Yeah. And uh, it so sounded like you kind of reached a point like Solomon in Ecclesiastes. Like, I tried it all and it didn't help. And I'm not happy. And so might as well try this last thing. Yeah. So did you have to, did you have to like get over some of that, that old religious, you know, stuff that was in you at, at some point or, or maybe some, some, um, you know, cause you, you described how you were just not into it before. So yeah. what, what do you think? Did, did something have to change? No, no. You know what? I, um, I wasn't a religious person. So, so a lot of that stuff didn't make sense to me anyway. I didn't have a lot of the religious stuff to, to work through because I wasn't, I wasn't religious at all. I didn't know what that, that looked like. Thank God. Well, that's helpful. So you, you couldn't have known this at the time, but um, God was doing something really special in the Chandler church at that time too. There was some, some breakout revival going on, right? Oh yeah. Yeah. It was a, a breakout revival in the midst of a bunch of craziness too. It was, uh, <laughs> yeah, because that was a very, um, um, it, it, it ended up being a very tough time for Chandler Church shortly after I got saved. But, but Chandler Church, ever since I've been there, has been a church that's been on the move. Very dynamic, full of prayer warriors, full of, of people who are just um, incredible Christians. You know what I mean? Um, and and, and I'm, I'm so glad that I was birthed in that. I'm so glad that God dropped me right in the middle of people who pray. And I tell people that all the time. I may not be able to do a whole lot of things good. Um, and I, I, you know, we may not be the biggest church or the most powerful church, but I know what I know. <clears throat> and I know that I remember being in, in, in when I finally decided that prayer was a good idea. And, uh, <laughs> when I, and when I started to go to prayer, man, I think, gosh, this is so incredible that I get to be a part of advancing the kingdom of God is absolutely, absolutely um, incredible. Yeah, I'm sure that was for, for somebody who needed to hear that. Um, so 
Also, what's interesting to me about your story is is that you uh, you were able to come in at the same time as a best friend. That's pretty unique, and that's really special. Can you can you uh, describe what that means to you? Oh yeah, you know um, when when me and my 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 buddy Tim got saved, he actually just took off blazing. I was still very um, I didn't like the whole going to church at night stuff. Um, and I remember him coming home one day. We we used to have albums, man, because he DJed. I was really big into music, and so he comes home one day, and I hear him. He's he's like, "Hallelujah, praise God!" <clears throat> and he says, "Uh, he comes in and he starts going through all these albums." And uh, I said, "Bro, what are you doing?" He says, "Man, I'm getting rid of this crap." And I said, "Oh wow!" I said, "Listen to me, man. You throw away whatever you want to throw away." Do not mess with my music, man. <laughs> Don't mess with my stuff. He takes all his music and he he busts all his albums up, man. And he, um, and, and that was just weird to me. I, 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 because I love my music, and um, but I think God was using him as kind of like a trailblazer because he he did everything before I did. You know, everything. We got baptized the same day, but he just kind of took off. And I was still very leery. I didn't like being around it. They invite me to fellowships. I didn't want to go. All this stuff. And 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 uh, but he was in the mix, man. He's in the cut. He's doing everything. And uh, <clears throat> I remember one day I'm laying in bed and God wakes me up and he says, uh, get rid of that music. And I said, Okay. Just like that. And I packed everything up. And I remember Daphne had let me use her trunk. And I put everything I had, I had all of the, most people only know who this band is, Devo. So I had my Devo uh, banners. I had all these banners from concerts and stuff like that. Crates of crates and crates and crates of music. And I put it all in the back of her truck. I drove it out to a, a, a drainage ditch uh, down in Chandler in the country. And I poured kerosene on it and I set it on fire. And I'm oh Lord, yeah, I set it on fire. Deliverance. Yes, I'm telling you, when I did that, and I'm telling you what prompted me to do that is I came home from church one day, and I remember, I remember this distinctly. I was walking across the street, and I was saying, you know, I've got the life of God in me, and I'm just having a good time, a great day at church. I get home and I put on um, an album by The Cure, and The Cure had a song called "Blood on the Doorpost." It's a mockery song. And mind you, I listen to music every single day. <clears throat> that was the first time that I listened to that song. And I said, this song is mocking the blood of Jesus. And, uh, and if you don't go listen to the song, anybody out there, but, but it's, it's, it's a mockery, like most of these songs are. And that's where God began to deal with me about, you know, my music through, even through Tim, showing me that, that um, you got to separate from, from stuff. So it was a real blessing having, having a, a good friend and, and a roommate. And he had a really good mind. Tim had a very, very, a very, very smart, very smart dude. And uh, me and him would have prayer meetings, man. Just me and him. Bible studies, just me and him. Prayer meetings. We, we'd lay hands on each other in the apartment and pray over each other, man. It was, it was fantastic. Wow. Well, that, that's amazing to be able to have uh, a traveling partner in a journey like that, yeah. you know? Yeah. And you can challenge one another and iron sharpens iron. And that, that's really cool to be able to have that. Um, 
I, I, I wanted to drill down a little bit on the the music because I had a very similar experience when I was a new believer. I was later on, you know, so I was I was all '90s grunge music, yeah. but I had a and it was CDs instead of albums. Right. But other than that, the story is almost the same, man. But um, what I wanted to, to to get your take on is is how wired we are for music. It's so amazing that. Yeah, I, I sensed it too. Like when, when I got saved, I had all these albums, uh, these CDs that, and I had a very similar experience. I heard a song that was mocking God. And, and so it inspired me. And, but that was really hard. That, that was like a sacrifice yeah. that, that man, I mean, it, their tears were shed <laughs> and uh, like uh, to let go of that music. And it was like, I didn't realize that Christians have music too. <laughs> and so so I, I didn't realize that I thought I was going to be the rest of my life non-musical. And, you know, for, for somebody who appreciates music, that was like, I'm, I'm ready to never sing a song again, you know? <laughs> yeah. I hear you. Yeah. So I'm just curious, like for, for people who are like really into music, um, I guess what, what is the connection for you? Because I know, I know you to be a pretty musical person, mm -hmm. like, you know, you, you you can sing and you can appreciate that. And so what was it like to really, you know, give that part of yourself to God? Because I know that this is a struggle for so many new converts when they come into the church. Yeah. Um, so one of the <clears throat> visions that me and Tim had is because we were going to open this club, right? So we, we went to a concert at the church and I got to admit, man, it was cheesy. It was major cheesy, man. And so I was like, wow. I said, this is tough to, to, to endure, man. And, uh, and so I said, we went home, we were talking. I said, hey, Tim, man, we should, we should see if one day they'll let us do some, some music. And maybe you can bring your turntables and you can spin, I can rap, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, I don't know if that's going to work, man. <clears throat> Long story short, they ultimately let us bring the turntables. <laughs> it turned into a disaster, but... <clears throat> I remember um, <laughs> we, um, God really began to stir me to write music for him and do songs for him. And so I wanted to, I, I came to a realization that anything that the world could do, me filled with the Holy Ghost could do it better. And, and that's what I still feel now, all these years later. I, it, it, I said, and I always tell people, it, I'm not going to let <clears throat> someone who snorts Coke smokes weed be more creative than me with the Holy Spirit. That's not going to happen. And, and, and to me, that should not happen. And so I remember we, um, <laughs> we started this little rap group back in the um, late 80s, I think it was, me and AJ and Tim called DCC. And um, <laughs> there are stories about this group. Yeah, DCC. And we, um, <laughs> the first song we, uh, we did was called The Blood. That was the first song that I wrote. And man, I struggled because <clears throat> all the songs that I wrote before were just cussing and about me and about this and about that. But it was called The Blood. And uh, we didn't have like any, any beats or anything like that. So we just beatboxed. And so I'd beatbox. And then Tim would come in and he'd beatbox. And then AJ would rap. And that was one of our first songs. But man, that was a, that was a CFM banger. <laughs> <laughs> it was, man. So I, um, I struggled initially with separating myself 
with music. Because not all music is bad. I think people got to be careful that you don't, number one, that you don't let anybody else be the Holy Spirit for you. And that they, because uh, you'll resent that. If you let someone else um, tell you to do something, I don't know if that's good. I think the Holy Spirit will convict you like the Holy Spirit convicted me. And, and you know, everything's not bad, but some things just aren't edifying at all. And you got to make a decision. Am I going to have a diet of that? Or am I going to redirect and get myself some music or maybe even not listen to anything for a while? I mean, that might be a good idea. To just turn everything off and have some silence and let the Holy Spirit speak to you. That's kind of good, too. That would be helpful. Yeah. yeah. So um, that's where I, I, I begin to redirect my, my uh, creativity and my passion towards rapping for Jesus. So how did you, uh, how did you get, I mean, was, was AJ, she had come into the church at the same time also? I, I think she got saved six months earlier. And the craziest thing, man, I, um, Tim worked at this uh, Hamilton Abnet Electronics over on 56 and Chandler Boulevard or something like that. And AJ worked there too, but they didn't know each other. So I come. Oh, wow. Yeah, so I come, I get saved. Um, I'm picking Tim up. And actually, before I got saved, I'm picking him up from work. He let me use his car. The boss comes out. And he says, hey, do you want a job? I wasn't looking for a job. I was just chilling. And I said, yeah. The job was looking for yeah. you. And so he says, uh, I said, yeah, I'll take a job. He takes me in. This is no lie. He takes me in. I fill out an application. He hires me there on the spot. Fast forward. Me and Tim get saved. I come up to the electronics place where Tim's taking me for a walkthrough because he already works here. And I said, Tim, isn't that the girl from the church, man? And she sees us. And she's like, hey, what's up, you guys? And we all became friends. Wow. Oh, yeah, yeah. It, man, it was just so cool, bro. It's so cool. And, yeah, and we became really, really tight after that. You know, me and AJ connected because, number one, we're from the East Coast. Number two, we love, uh, like, like um, certain kinds of music. In D.C., it's called go-go music. So we really, we really kind of clicked because we like that kind of music. <clears throat> so we just really, really became close. And so close that a lot of people thought that she was my sister. And so they would always say, yeah, man, I saw your sister the other day. And I said, AJ, she's not my sister, man, but thank you. Uh, yeah, so we just, we just became, we became, became very, very close, man. Well, that's really cool. And so the band took off and did you guys start performing quite a bit? Oh yeah. Yeah. We, we were all over the place, man. Everywhere. We were, um, Tucson, Casa Grande, Yuma, um, Albuquerque. Yeah. We rap a lot. Sometimes you two concerts, um, in a weekend we do, we, we sometimes will fly out on Friday, do a concert on Friday, do another one on Saturday, and then they fly us back home. Yeah. That is wild. Yeah. So, um, how, how cool, like how long had you been saved at that point? Not that long. <laughs> <laughs> But isn't that amazing though? That's that's so fellowship. Like, okay, let's do it. Let's let give them give them a chance, man. That's so cool. Yeah, not not all that long because I remember I hadn't been saved that long, and we did the first Martin Luther King uh, Day celebration in Phoenix, and it was wild out there, man. They're cussing everybody out. I mean, they're just brutal to every band that got up there, man. They're just losing their minds. We get up there first. Frank Cooper gets up. Frank Cooper gets up and he um, 
shares his testimony. You know, Frank's country. <laughs> and so he just talked. I love yeah, Frank. Well, he, he, listen, man, he, he, he broke them off some. That's all I know. They didn't know what the, they didn't know what to say. And um, we, of course, did our song, The Blood. <coughs> Shut the whole place down, man. And we were the only group that they applauded. The only one. It was absolutely insane. Wow. Can you, can you see me okay? Is this? Yeah, no, it's fine. Okay. Yeah, so, um, but we did, we did, we had a lot of fun, man. We, we did a lot of concerts, a lot of, uh, we did concerts in schools. Um, we did a concert, Indian Reservation, Coolidge. We played all over the place. Youth rallies everywhere, youth rallies in Santa Fe. It was a lot of fun. Was, was Pastor Campbell there in the church at that time, or was he in Malaysia? No, no, he, he had come back. Yeah, he had come back. All right, well, I would love to hear what your impressions of him were as a new convert. Well, initially, I didn't like him, which is pretty unfair considering I didn't know him. But it, right. um, and, and, you know, people have spoken highly of him, but it was during that transition of our church. And so a lot of things that were, were you know, that I was dealing with um, made me not really like him that much. But then when I got to know him, I said, this guy's pretty cool. And plus he played basketball. So, so I, I, I really like the, uh, uh, there's the connection. That's the connection. And so once we, we met, um, they had a fellowship years ago and, and back in, I think it was uh, January 1990. That's where I first met him, January 1990. And um, I had a fellowship. I got to meet him. We, we later on went out and played basketball. And we really connected. I, I liked his passion. I loved the way he prayed. Um, I loved his, his, his zeal for the things of the kingdom of God. And we just, you know, um, became, became close. And you know what I love about Pastor Campbell? He never, ever, ever, as long as I've known him, tried to make me be something that I was not. He always uh, approached me from a position of um, allowing me to find an expression that God wanted me to have myself and not him putting that on me. He's never, ever done that. I don't know if anybody else feels that way. I just know that he's never done that. So sometimes people have these uh, stories about Pastor Campbell. I'm like, well, I don't even know the guy you're talking to. I don't know what you're talking about because he doesn't, he, he's never responded to me that way. And so, and that's what I, I loved um, about being in Chandler, especially way back then that, you know, we could do conscious and stuff like that. And they, they'd be edgy, man. They'd be edgy. But I think the edginess is what really uh, brings out a lot of creativity and also um, um, brings a lot of unsafe people in as well. Yeah. Yeah, you know what's funny about that is um, you you want to give people expression, you want to give them an opportunity, but there is a line where you know it can go too far, and you got to be careful about that. Yeah. We know that, but I, I I think you know I'm grateful for our fellowship because we we pray that we play that line pretty close. Yeah. And what I mean by that is we often are putting people in those uncomfortable positions on purpose because we know that it's going to bring further growth. Was that your experience? Oh yeah. Yeah. Because I, I think that if someone would have put a line there, then I would probably would have just went maybe close to that line, but never ever achieved 
what I think God really wanted me to do and, and how he wanted me to be because I was such a radical person before I got saved. And I think that if, if, if somebody would have said, oh, you know, don't do X, Y, Z, I think it would have really harmed me as, in my creativity and, and what God wanted me to, to do and be. And, um, you know, just coming in from the background that I came in from and, and then getting in, involved in the church, man, I was like, bro, this is where I can just really just see God just do some great things for his name. And I, I mean, and I would eat, sleep, drink. That's all I would think about is, is doing songs and seeing people get saved. That's all I wanted to see. Wow. So, um, we, I've got, uh, I've got many more questions than we have time for, but, uh, I want to ask you about your discipleship. I want to ask you about your call to be a preacher. I want to ask you about somebody named Daphne and, uh, <laughs> But we're going to do all of that after a quick break right here, and we're going to uh, we're going to say goodbye to our free free subscribers. So if you want to hear the rest of that story, go ahead and hit that subscribe button, and we'll see you on the other side. And we'll be right back 